there's many other Marian spiritualities that emphasize Mary's obedience, Mm -hmm. Mary's humility, Mary's docility. What I think is so important about Father Chaminade is that his Mary is a very strong, active, dynamic Mary. She is the woman, the promised woman that defeats evil. Any treatment of Mary and the Marianist tradition that doesn't have that component is missing something really crucial. Welcome to Sharing Our Marianist Stories. I'm Patty Garrett. And I'm Sister Gabby Bebo. Today we're going to discuss the letter to the retreat masters of 1839. When Sister Gabby and I first talked about reviewing letters from the founders, this was one of the first letters Sister Gabby wanted to discuss. So can you tell us why? Yeah, um, I, I picked this letter for Father Chaminade because this is far and away the most important letter that exists um, in the Marianist family. This is the letter that where Father Chaminade lays out, this is who we are. This is what we're about. This is what makes us unique. Um, so I was like, we have to discuss at least part of this letter. It's, it's longer than the letter of Adele's that we discussed last time. So we're not going to read the whole thing, but it's just totally foundational um, to who we are as Marianists. So I was like, we have to do this letter. Okay, at this point, do you want to read uh, the portions you selected, Sister Gabby? Yes, I can do that. So like I said, um, you know, it's not a an extremely long letter. It's probably about five pages, but it's longer than what we want to read on our podcast. So I I picked out some of the paragraphs that I think are most important. Um, So I'm going to uh, skip to, um, and and we will put in the description of the podcast, a link to the whole letter, the entire letter, if you want to read the whole thing. But I'm going to go ahead and skip um, the first, really the first whole section and get right into the heart of the letter. So Father Chaminade writes, All periods of the church's history are marked with the struggles and glorious triumphs of the august Mary. All heresies, the church tells us, have recoiled before the Blessed Virgin. In our day, the great prevailing heresy is religious indifference, which grows by numbing souls and the stupor of selfishness and the mire of passion. The depths of the infernal abyss belch forth huge clouds of black and pestilential smoke that threaten to engulf the whole earth in a dark night, devoid of every good, fraught with every evil, and impenetrable to the life-giving rays of the sun of justice. This picture of our times so sadly accurate, is nevertheless far from discouraging to us. Mary's power stands undiminished. We firmly believe that she will overcome this heresy 
as she has overcome all others, because she is today, as she always has been, the incomparable woman, the promised woman, who is to crush the serpent's head. And Jesus Christ, by never addressing her except with this great name, teaches us that she is the hope, joy, and life of the church. What I consider as being the specifying characteristic of our orders is that we embrace religious life in Mary's name and for her glory. We who believe that we have been called by Mary herself to help her with all our strength in her struggle against the great heresy of our times have taken as our motto the words addressed by the Blessed Virgin to the servants at Cana, do whatever he tells you. We are convinced that despite our weakness, our special mission is to perform all the works of zeal and mercy for our neighbor. Consequently, we accept all possible means of preserving or curing our neighbor from the infection of evil. Thus, even though the vow of teaching that we make is something we have in common with other orders, this vow is far more comprehensive. Its object is to carry out Mary's words, do whatever he tells you, and, therefore, it extends to all classes, both sexes, and all ages, but to the young and poor especially so that it really sets us apart from all other societies that make the same vow. For ours is a great work, a magnificent work. If it is universal, it is because we are missionaries of Mary, who has said to us, do whatever he tells you. Yes, all of us are missionaries. Each one of us has received from the Blessed Virgin a commission to work at the salvation of our brothers and sisters in the world. Thank you, Gabby. Hearing this, it just it feels like when people say, what is Marianist? What is a better answer? What is a better response than, than this letter? Yes. And there's so much more than that. Those I think are the most important pieces, but yeah, I mean, if someone says, okay, what does it mean to be Marianist? You can hand them this letter and it's pretty much all there. Um, now, of course, this was written in 1839. So some of the language is, uh, sounds a little bit foreign to our 21st century ears, but if you look beyond the language or if you read to the heart of what he's saying, it's such a beautiful explanation of our mission, our purpose for existing, our relationship with Mary. Um, yeah, it's all there. And even in that first paragraph, when like there's some dramatic language. I think that's cultural as well as, you know, a sign of the times, uh, the depths of the infernal abyss belch forth huge clouds of black and 
pestilence that threatened to engulf the whole earth. But you know, you know, I've read that several times, but it feels kind of fitting for where we are right now. You know, this it feels like at times, you know, with um, social, you know, social unrest and everything going on with social justice and having COVID nineteen throughout the world. I mean. It doesn't even sound all that dramatic at the moment to me. (laughs) I think that's a great point, Patty. And it is the first time I read this letter and I read that line, I kind of chuckled to myself because I was like, wow, he does not mince words. Like he, (laughs) he did not have, um, he saw with open eyes the sin of his time and the social unrest. And I think I think there are sometimes, um, you know, I've talked with different people who really don't like that portion of the letter because they think it's very negative. But what I think is, number one, you have to understand what Father Shamanad experienced in his life. This is a man who was a priest that lived through the French Revolution. Exactly. I know. Yes. Yeah. And his... His mentor and close friend, Father Languerin, was killed by a violent mob in Bordeaux. Um, and legend has it that Father Chaminade received his blood-soaked breviary um, mm. as a memento for him. You know, he was in exile. He saw horrible things. And so he 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 was really clear-eyed about all the evil that was in society at that time. So that's number one. But number two is that you'll also have to look at the very next paragraph, which begins as, as this picture of our times so sadly accurate is nevertheless far from discouraging to us. Mary's power stands undiminished. So he was clear-eyed about the evil, but he was hopeful. And I think going back to your point, Patty, about like, yeah, this great um, cloud of black and pestilential smoke, there's a lot there for us today, but that we can look at that clear-eyed like Father Shamanad and still be hopeful and can still say Mary's power stands undiminished. Um, So I think that's a, a great and powerful component of this letter. I, I really agree. And it's something I so admire about Father Shamanad. And in fact, I don't think there's a lot, at least you, you've done more reading than I, but I don't know, see a lot of the negativity or um, darkness that is shared in that first paragraph a lot. It's usually about let's get to work. So in a way, it's good to I, it, it's kind of interesting to see. No, he felt that he saw that he witnessed it. And he made the choice and he uses his faith and his looking to Mary and God and Jesus that there's hope. What about the line? I know people talk about this a lot about the incomparable woman, the promised woman who is to crush the serpent's head. What, what, what do you hear when you read that? Yes. So, um, For those of you who are unfamiliar with this concept of Mary crushing the head of the serpent, um, this actually goes back to a reading of 
the book of Genesis. Um, so, you know, after Adam and Eve have eaten of the fruit and God comes to them and says that because of what they've done, they can no longer stay in the garden. He then turns to the serpent and says, because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Most importantly, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. So, Father Shamanad, the version of the Bible that he had was the Vulgate, which was the Latin translation of the Bible. And that is a slightly mistranslated, um, the Vulgate slightly mistranslates this to suggest that it's the woman who strikes at the head of the serpent. And in traditional Catholic theology, we see this as a foreshadowing of Jesus and Mary and salvation history that, um, you know, if you look at, he will strike your head. So how we understand it from the translation now, Jesus will be the one who strikes his head, but that, you know, traditionally because of this translation, it was Mary who strikes the head of the serpent. So we can really think about them striking the head of the serpent together. And so for Father Shamanad, Mary is the woman who, through her yes, through her cooperation and God's plan of salvation, she is the woman who defeats evil, the woman who crushes the head of the serpent, the woman who defeats evil. And I just want to say that this is so important because there's many other Marian spiritualities that emphasize Mary's obedience, Mary's mm-hmm. humility, Mary's docility, and in the, in the Marianist tradition, we emphasize those, certainly. What I think is so important about Father Shamanad is that his Mary is a very strong, active, dynamic Mary. She is the woman, the promised woman the incomparable woman that defeats evil. That is so huge in our understanding of Mary that any any treatment of Mary and the Marianist tradition that doesn't have that component is missing something really crucial. So that's what he's getting at here. And so our task as Marianists is to cooperate in this mission of Mary to crush the serpent's head, um, to defeat evil, how we might put it in our day, to to be people who work against injustice, to be people who work against anything that goes against God's kingdom. And I think he that's even more explored in the next paragraph. You know, we who believe that we've been called by Mary herself to help her with all our strength and her struggle against the great heresies of our times. Um, and I would like to also stress that this is for the FMI, the SM, and the lay. I think all branches of the Marianist family can read reads this and is being called to be missionaries of Mary. 
Absolutely. Yes. This was the context of this letter. You know, he's, he's writing this letter to the, the retreat masters. So the, the, the several priests in the society of Mary who will be giving retreats to members of the daughters of Mary and the society of Mary. And these are aspects of who we are that he wants them to make sure that they, they emphasize in their retreats. So he talks a lot about our, our orders. Um, in the first part of the letter, he talks about what we, we have in common with other religious orders. And he talks about the vows. And then the parts that are most interesting are the parts where he talks about what, what is unique to us. And so he's talking more specifically about the religious, but this is really an explanation of our charism. And this is a charism that is shared by, with religious priests and lay people. Um, and so we, this is the same call and the same mission live differently. So absolutely. I think that I really think everyone in the Marianist family, lay and religious, should at some point read this letter because um, it's it's just a treasure. The tone of this letter is um, very grand. It mm-hmm. is. It's it's written for um, for everyone, and and the reason that he writes this letter, he's in such a He's in such a mood, like just like a, a very, um, I guess, grand and just a very grand mood is because he had written to um, the Pope to ask for approval of the religious orders. Um, and in fact, he did not receive approval of the two religious orders because the Pope wasn't approving any new religious orders at that time. But the, the, Pope instead wrote a decree of praise to Father Chaminade to say, you know, what you're doing is great. What these religious orders are all about, I think is wonderful. And so the Pope, or Father Chaminade feels very emboldened by that. And it's in response to that, that he writes to the retreat masters to have them to tell all of the religious like the Pope basically approves of what we're doing. And isn't that wonderful? And don't forget, this is who we are. And you think, you know, the sisters were officially formed in 1816, right? And the SM 1817, and this is 1839. Yeah. This is something he had thought about, obviously, you know, he, and he's putting it into words. And I think I like your term grand. I'm, I'm, thinking almost a little celebratory, like, yes, he's worked for so long and it's being affirmed. And now he gets to share this with the people that have joined in this mission. So it really is other than our um, first paragraph (laughs) that we read pretty celebratory, you know, you can feel it. It has, it's got a lot of punch. (laughs) The other part that just makes me want to sort of stand and cheer is that it's another paragraph down, but to carry out Mary's words, do whatever he tells you. 
extend to all classes, both sexes and all ages, but to the young and poor especially. I just feel like for its time, that's incredible. You know, what was happening, why the French Revolution happened. I've always admired how he made these changes from, from French society, making sure everyone is included. And just to see it written, I, again, I think it's timely. Yeah, I think so too, Patty. I, um, yeah, it was very important for me to include that part because that's the, you know, we talk about and with the Marianist pillars, one of the pillars that we refer to, we, we sometimes use different names for it, but inclusivity is one name we use. Discipleship of equals is one name. Family spirit is another name. It gets at this idea that that universality of our mission and the universality of our identity, that we are not just for um, the middle class, we're not just for the rich, um, we're not just for Westerners, you know what I mean? Like, I think there's so much in our society now as we grow an understanding of of racism, of sexism, of classism, of heterosexism, that there's in the Marianist family a call to remember that universality and to be a people who are in mission and community with all different kinds of people. And the young and poor especially, I think that is still the case. You know, you can see where we are as Marianists around the world, and that's who we're present to in many places as the young and the poor. And then the final paragraph that you chose, uh, when I was talking to Brother Larry, he told me that Father Simler Secretary Father Club felt this paragraph should be painted in gold in every Marianist community in the world. For ours is a great work, a magnificent work. If it is universal, it is because we are missionaries of Mary who said to us, do whatever he tells you. And when I asked Larry, did he think we should still paint it in gold? He, he teasingly said, well, that's expensive. But he does feel like every community should know this letter. Exactly what you said, Gabby. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I agree with Larry, I, you know, maybe not in gold, but for sure to, you know, like somebody could graffiti this on the side of our house and I'd be like, yeah, let's leave it. Cause that's exactly <laughs> who we are. Um, I love how often do whatever he tells you comes up in this letter. You know, that's really our mission statement as Marianists. And it's a great shorthand. Because it's about Jesus, but it's the words of Mary. The phrase, do whatever he tells you. These were the words of Mary at the wedding feast of Cana. When Mary realizes that there's no wine, they've run out of wine at this wedding. And she basically invites Jesus to perform his first miracle to solve that problem, make more wine. So what Mary does is she turns to the servants at the wedding and says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And that's when Jesus tells them to fill that up, fill up the casks with water and he turns them into wine. So that's the context for that, for that line. That's John chapter two. It does get to that, 
that missionary sense. We are missionaries of Mary. I know when I first this re- read this letter, I think I was a novice. And I read this last paragraph about how we're missionaries of Mary. Ours is a great work, a magnificent work. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Like, yes, this is so exciting. It's just very inspiring. It's very motivating. Yeah, it's moving. It's deeply, deeply moving and aspirational. Well, thank you, Sister Gabby. I want to continue doing letters. So we'll have to find something from Marie Therese or go back to Adele and Father Shamanat. I'm really enjoying this. I'm learning a lot. So thank you very much. You're welcome. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Sharing Our Mariness Stories, where we talked about Father Shamanad's letter to the retreat masters of 1839. This is just a portion of the letter. So if you'd like to read the whole thing, and I encourage you to do so, uh, we will be posting a link in the show notes of the podcast also on our website and you can find a PDF that's a free download with an introduction by none other than Brother Larry Kata of Happy Memory. And you can find that letter and our podcast and other information at our webpage, www.nacmas.org. And again, I, I, I thank you for listening too.